Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. So, I, as I was saying, I appreciate the, the gift and thinking about us, and it's it's an amazing thing to feel loved by your church, and there's so much love in this room, and uh, we really appreciate that. I uh, had a blessed time at the men's conference. I almost got to go to the youth conference, which would have been cool, um, but uh, the uh, Cornerstone Church asked me to participate on Saturday with their worship team, and so it worked out for me to be able to go and do that, and we just had a blast. I was, I was telling uh, some of our uh, folks that... Um, it was nice just to stand up on stage and have to sing and not worry about being responsible for how anything else went down. And uh, so I could just worship the Lord and, and, uh, and have fun, and it was just so much uh, joy there and uh, getting to see friends I haven't seen in a minute. Um, but uh, this morning, uh, and really last night, um, I was really battling coming today because I was just filled with a lot of anxiety and doubt on the message in, in this series. As, as I always do, I pray all the time, God, what are you saying? What do you want to tell the church? What do you want, to, um, what do you want us to learn? How do, what do you want to reveal in your word? And, uh, and I just spend time meditating and let God just speak to my heart and my mind. And, and that's how the sermon series are developed and it guides my study. And, and so... Um, Earlier in the week, I was just wrestling with this, and finally, on Thursday, I felt like God said, talk about Jesus. And I told God, what else are we going to talk about at church? You know, well, what is it? And so, of course, the way my mind works, I started thinking about all the deep theological concepts and all the, the Greek and the Hebrew and, and all the stuff that you learn in seminary and, and all the things that interest me that bore my kids out to death. You know, I'll throw on a good archaeological expedition, and, and they'll be like, Dad, come on, quit watching this stuff. But, uh, but I was just wrestling with it, and, and even uh, like Thursday night, I was able to write the message and, and feel like, okay, God's given me some direction. But last night, just feeling like, oh, man, I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure if this is right. And then now we're in worship, and, and God's moving, and I'm like, okay, something's happening something's brewing here. Maybe I'm not supposed to talk about this. I don't know, you know, but I'm just back there asking the Lord, and, and, and he's like, no, just stick with, stick with what I've given you. And it's been interesting because Scott mentioned some things in his prayer this morning during communion that we're going to talk about. And some of the things that we've been talking about are coming through the testimonies as we talk about Jesus. Can you guys hear me okay? Okay. So right now we are in the 40 days of Lent. Um, I never knew what that was growing up. I didn't come from a liturgical background. Uh, we grew up uh, as Baptists, and we didn't ever observe Lent. But if you're like me, Lent is simply the 40 days leading up to Easter. And it commemorates Jesus' time in the wilderness as he, he's being tempted by the devil. The 40 days and 40 nights he's being tempted. And normally... What, what people that observe Lent do is, is the, I think it's the Tuesday before, like Fat Tuesday, like it's the end of Mardi Gras. That's when you get all your sin out before you get spiritual. I don't know if that you knew that that's what Christians do. You go partied up like it's 1999, and then you become spiritual like it's like the millennium, the new kingdom, you know, and, uh, and uh, during the time of Lent. But uh, you get, once you got all your sin out, then you can go through Lent and you can repent and you can fast and pray and get close to God again and, and uh, get on his good side and all that good stuff. So that's what's happening right now. But it's really to prepare your heart for the day we celebrate Easter or Resurrection Sunday, the day Jesus Christ came back from the dead, which has changed the whole world. It's, it's like the pinnacle. It's the hallmark of our calendar year after year after year as we are celebrating the one event that makes all the difference in the world. Paul the Apostle even said in, in Corinthians, I believe it's 2 Corinthians, he said, if Jesus Christ be not raised from the dead, it doesn't matter. Coming to church doesn't matter. Being religious and spiritual doesn't matter. Matter of fact, 
All the stuff we do to try to live a life that honors and pleases God, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we should be pitied more than any person on the planet because we're wasting our time. So the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is the single most important event in all of history. And Lent prepares our hearts for leaning into that day where we celebrate. And so as I was praying to the Lord, asking God, we just came off this 22 days of prayer, where we're now in this kind of limbo stage between now and Easter. Can you believe it's almost Easter? Like, it's flying by so fast. But now we're getting close to Easter. What do you want us to talk about? And he's said, I want you to talk about Jesus. But don't just talk about Jesus. I want you to highlight why he is so significant. I want you to highlight what his impact has been in the world. And why we celebrate him every year. And not just the religious traditions that we do. But, but why is he the most significant person who's ever lived? And why for the last 2,000 years, he continues to impact the world today. Like, do you think about it? No singular religious figure or historical figure in all of time is still having the same impact on the world that Jesus is having today. Not one. Matter of fact, more volumes of books, more art, more songs. There are actually more copies of ancient manuscripts talking about Jesus than any other figure in history. There are thousands upon thousands of ancient manuscripts that have been copied and copied and copied to preserve the content talking about Jesus compared to maybe like six or seven talking about Julius Caesar. When, it, when you're comparing apples to oranges, there has not been any length that has been taken that compares to what people have taken to preserve Jesus in all of history. It's absolutely phenomenal what Jesus has done. Napoleon Bonaparte, the military and political leader of France, he said this. He says, I know men, and I tell you, that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander the Great, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have all founded empires. But what on did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love, and at this hour, millions of men would die for him. He's unlike anybody else. H.G. Wells, a famous author, he says, I am a historian, I am not a believer. But I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure of all history. What I also found interesting is Kenneth L. Woodward kind of confirmed what I was saying earlier. He was an editor of Newsweek magazine. He said, by any secular standard, Jesus is also the dominant figure of Western culture. Like the millennium itself, much of what we now think of as Western ideas, inventions, values, finds its source or inspiration in the religion that worships God in his name. Art and science, self and society, politics, economics, marriage and the family, right and wrong, body and soul, all have been touched and often radically transformed by the Christian influence. There is literally no area of society on this planet Jesus has not affected and or transformed. It's the kingdom of God. And it's advancing. So whether you believe in Jesus or not, his impact on the world is completely undeniable. It's undeniable. And my prayer for us through this series, if you didn't fall in love with Jesus during our series on the great romance, the love story of the Bible, and, or you didn't fall in love with him during the 22 days of prayer, remembering all the stuff that he's done in your life and with expectation of what he's going to do, my prayer is, is that you would fall in love with Christ as we refocus our lives on this singular devotion. Our highest aim as believers in Christ. Paul the Apostle said that Jesus Christ is the prize. He is the great reward. That as we single in on how Jesus has impacted the world and ultimately impacted us, that you would discover him as your greatest love. 
Psalm 37, verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I know many people twist this verse. They're like, oh, God's going to give me the desires of my heart. Okay, God, I want a new Xbox. Okay, I, I want that girl I like to fall in love with me. Okay, God, I want the $300 pair of shoes. But we missed the first part. Delight ourselves in the Lord. Not in your shoes. Not in your Xbox. Not in your job, in your promotion, in your new car or your new wardrobe. Delight yourself in the Lord, and then guess what he's going to give you? The desire of your heart. I love that, because what's that mean? That means the more you delight in him, the more of him you get to experience. And he is the great reward. He is the great prize. We want you to taste of his goodness and drink of the living water that flows from his heart. Lord God, as we come to you today, Lord, we ask you to reveal yourself to us more, more than what we knew five minutes ago. And Lord, we want more of you to experience you, to taste and see that you are good, to taste of your goodness, drink of that living water that flows from your heart in life in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, you said that rivers of living water flow from the heart of those who taste of the water you have to give. So God, I say, let us drink, and not just a taste, but let us drink to our full and to the overflow. Lord Jesus, we glorify you, we worship you. In your name we pray, amen. Today we're gonna talk about Jesus, our purpose. Jesus, our purpose. Jesus has given purpose to every human being. We don't have time to break down every culture and ancient culture or even uh, names and places here on earth, but we could go to different places in society that, that have built their societies on what they call a caste system or a system that, that separates people according to their value in this life. Where we could go and we could look at different cultures and see where in ancient times they were they tried to discover meaning by worshiping different gods and how those gods aren't even around today. And we can also look at those same nations where Jesus came into the area and has transformed their culture. I shared this story a couple uh, weeks ago about uh, being at the gym and talking to these young guys from Burma. They're Burmese. And they were telling me about how in their tribe they were spiritists. They, they worshiped their ancestors and their, their families were always afraid of the spirits about making the spirits angry. And so they would do sacrifices. He remembered watching grandparents do sa animal sacrifices in their village to appease the spirits so that they would have, like, good luck or blessing and favor and not cursing. And then he said, and then a missionary came in and brought the gospel. And now they're not afraid of the spirits anymore. Like, there's an intrinsic value. There's something that happens in a culture, in a society, when Jesus is entered into it. Now, years ago, to, to kind of set this up, I had a couple of T-shirts in my drawer. These were some of my favorite T-shirts. And my wife was always trying to get me to get rid of these T-shirts. I mean, probably because at that point they had been old, they had gotten old. I had outgrown them, not this way, this way. And, and so they were just sitting in my drawer, and she was trying to get me to get rid of them. Tony has, you know, been really patient with me over the years. Uh, I think God has had to work patience into her life, um, but uh, I've, I've, I've been able to help her out with that. But, uh, but I got both of these t-shirts. I got one in middle school, and I got one in high school. And, and from the schools that I attended. And so I, I was kind of attached to them, even though she was pleading with me to get rid of them because she's like, you never wear them. You know, you've outgrown them. And, and she has this philosophy. Her philosophy is, is kind of like a minimalist philosophy. She's like, if you haven't touched it in a year, you're probably not going to miss it. And anybody else have that philosophy? Yeah. And so what she does, and I say does because I still think it happens, even though she says it hasn't happened in a while. I think she goes through my stuff and throws things out without my knowledge 
Because she finds it to be better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Because she doesn't want the battle that she has to wage in order to get what she wants. But I would never get rid of these two t-shirts. And they were difficult for me to let go because they meant something to me. It, uh, both shirts were uh, really awards that I won because in middle school and in high school, there was a drawing contest for different things. And uh, in middle school, we were the, we were the separated into teams for like this field day. And each team had their own mascot. And our mascot was the gray wolf. And so they had everyone draw a picture. And the winner's picture, everyone would vote. And whoever won, that picture would get put on the T-shirt. And so I won the middle school T-shirt. And so my drawing was on, on the, uh, the middle school shirt. And then the same thing happened in high school. I was in choir, and we wanted to design choir shirts. And, and so we all like, submitted a drawing. And I submitted a cartoon of my choir teacher dressed in an Indian costume because we were the chiefs. And everyone picked that one. And so that became the T-shirt design. Now, if you had seen these shirts at the Goodwill, you wouldn't have thought twice about them. They weren't significant. They weren't like, oh, man, that's the best drawing I've ever seen in my life, you know. But they meant something to me because I put meaning into the T-shirts. There was something from my heart that I invested into the T-shirts. So they had meaning because of what I placed onto them, the attachment I put onto them. They had value simply because of the value I gave them. And that's what motivated my stubbornness with letting them go. I didn't want to let them go because of the value I had put on those shirts. Eventually, I caved and we got rid of the t-shirts. It was either that or find a new wife, I think. So uh, I think I chose right. But what we ascribe meaning to or what we let ascribe meaning to us has an effect on our lives. What we allow to define meaning. It's a very difficult thing to find meaning in this life. If you ever just gone on to the internet and typed in, what is the meaning of life on the internet? You won't get a singular answer. You'll get multiple answers from multiple people who have spent their entire lives trying to discern or discover the meaning of life. And so there, there's not a singular uh, answer for the meaning of life. There are, are several things. If you type that in, I'll just give you a couple of hits what you would find. The first quote right, out, right off of Google says, Life is meaningful, they say. Life is meaningful, they say. But its value is made by us in our minds and subject to change over time. So this uh, guy named Landau, he argues that meaning is essentially a sense of worth which we may all derive in a different way from relationships, creativity, accomplishments in a given field, generosity, among other possibilities. So it's self-determined. Another quote here says, your life purpose consists of the central motivating aims of your life. What drives you? The reasons you get up in the morning. Purpose can guide life decisions, influence behavior, shape goals, offer a sense of direction, and create meaning. So your meaning is what you give yourself, or what you invest your life in can then influence meaning. For some people, purpose is connected to, the, to their job, vocation, Meaningful, satisfying work. So even from the top two quotes, you don't have an agreement. You say, well, this one says meaning is just what you give yourself. The other one says you get meaning from what you invest yourself in. Some popular quotes from history, Pliny the Elder, an ancient writer, he says, true glory consists in doing what deserves to be written, in writing what deserves to be read, and in so living as to make the world happier and better for our living in it. So meaning, or glory in his words, comes from making an impact in the world. Eleanor Roosevelt said the purpose of life is to live it, to taste experience to the utmost, to reach out eagerly without fear or newer or richer experience. So for her, meaning comes from your experiences. Uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky, a uh, very famous philosopher says the mystery of human existence lies not in just staying alive 
but in finding something to live for. So for him, meaning comes from finding purpose. Albert Einstein said, all religion, art, and sciences are branches of the same tree. All these aspirations are directed toward enabling man's life, lifting it from the sphere of mere physical existence and leading the individual towards freedom. So for Albert Einstein, meaning comes from freedom. And lastly, Michael Crichton, he is the uh, writer and creator of the Jurassic Park series, The Lost World. He's uh, involved in it. He's an author. He says, human beings are so destructive, I sometimes think we're a kind of plague that will scrub the earth clean. We destroy things so well that I think, sometimes think, maybe that's our function. Maybe every few eons, some animal comes along, kills off the rest of the world, clears the decks, and lets evolution proceed to its next phase. So for Michael Crichton, our existence is to be a plague on the world, our meaning. That's the meaning of life. So you have all of these different ideas of where meaning comes from, what meaning is, or what is meaningful in your life. And if you dig into meaning, there's really three categories that help you discover meaning according to the social sciences or psychological sciences. If you have these three areas in um, in connection to one another, you can find some meaning. The first is it distinguishing coherence. The second is purpose. And the third is significance. These are three categories that you need to find meaning in your life. Coherence simply means a sense of comprehensibility or one's life making sense. If your life doesn't make sense, you're not going to have any meaning. So your life needs to make sense. Two, purpose is a sense of core goals or aims or the direction of your life. So that your life doesn't need to just make sense. You need to have some goals. And then thirdly, significance is about the sense of life's inherent value or having a life worth living. So to dumb it down, simply stated, the meaning of life is boiled down to your life making sense, you personally having a purpose, and then feeling significant by achieving that purpose. That's how you get meaning, according to the, uh, the sciences. But this whole idea is so abstract and subjective that our culture really has no idea how to answer this question. Where does meaning come from? We just conjure contrived ideas to describe the pathways to discover meaning, which hasn't led us to distinguishing any coherence rather than the opposite. Because if everyone can decide for themselves what the meaning of their life is, there's no standard to judge it by. There's nothing that we can compare to anything else. And actually, rather than seeing our world as we see this unravel in our culture, rather than the world making more sense, you might agree that it's actually making less sense. It's descending into chaos and confusion. So these definitions aren't helping us really in any way. In essence, if you want meaning, you have to discover it for yourself, and no one can tell you what it is. Well, then how do you know it's meaningful if there's no way to test it or determine that? So that hasn't led us to anything more than a life of confusion. Uh, Plato, the ancient philosopher, believed meaning came from attaining the highest knowledge, and through that knowledge we could come to discover what is good or beneficial. So what the world and what history is teaching us is that mankind, apart from God, is still searching for meaning. Still trying to find it. Still trying to discover where meaning comes from. They, they come up with these great ideas and, and concepts that might lead to meaning, but they still haven't put their finger on it. And now, when we first began to comp, com, contemplate these concepts thousands of years ago, we're still on the path to try to discover meaning. Now, this is the brilliance of Jesus Christ. This is where Jesus has come in and revolutionized and changed the world. It's not just in what he taught, but it's the fact that he came into humanity at all. That he showed up on the world stage at all. Why? Because Jesus is God in flesh. He is the God King of kings, Lord of lords, the ancient of days, the great I am, the one who spoke all things into existence. He is the word. He embodied the human form. 
And by taking on the human form, it reveals to us some meaning of what it means to be human. In John 8, 58, Jesus is talking to these religious leaders, and he says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus didn't just arrive on Christmas Day, year zero. Jesus existed before time. He has always been God. And so what is he telling these religious leaders? He was telling them, you know, this, this guy who started the whole nation of Israel, Abraham, this one you revere, the one you look to to find some meaning in your life, you're, you're a child of Abraham, you're the Jewish people, and then you're really clinging to that, to giving your life meaning. Yeah, I was before that guy. There's something greater in your midst than this simple thing, this DNA strand that you're holding on to. I was around, and if you go back to the story of Abraham, and you see when Abraham is offering Isaac on the mountain, the angel of the Lord interrupts Abraham in the process, provides him another lamb, and Isaac is spared. Jesus is on the mountain with Abraham on the day of that moment where the nation of Israel is really brought into existence. The angel of the presence shows up, and we see that all throughout the Old Testament. So Jesus is God in human form. He's the embodiment of the fullness of God, and that not only gives value to human life, like, think about it. Did Jesus ever come in the form of any of his other creations? Did Jesus ever show up as a dog or a cat or one of those annoying squirrels that runs out in front of your car and then darts back you know, when you think you're in the clear and instead becomes a speed bump on the road. You know what I'm saying? I don't know why they do it. They do it every time. Jesus never came back as anything else but a human being. That gives us intrinsic value. That Jesus revealed in his coming uniqueness about humankind, value in humankind that no gods of any other nation ever gave. You see, other gods of other nations, they required humans to sacrifice themselves. Jesus came and sacrificed himself. He gave intrinsic value. Why is there value? It's because there's a meaning. There's something beyond ourselves that God has revealed through Jesus that gives the human life meaning. He was fully God, fully man, yet without sin, completely divine yet filled completely with the Spirit of the Lord, in constant fellowship with the Father. He was perfectly in sync with his heart, and he lived intentionally and on purpose. Jesus never went anywhere God didn't tell him to go. He never said anything God did not tell him to do. In John 17, 6 through 8, Jesus says, I have manifested your name. Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, I have manifested your name. Somebody say manifested. He revealed the name of God, the presence of the Lord. He revealed your name to the people you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything you've given me is from you. For I've given them the words you gave me, and they've received them, and come to know the truth that came from you, and they believe that you sent me. Right here, he's praying to the Father. He's saying, you sent me to do a job. You sent me to manifest your presence, to give them your words, and they received it. And now they're different. Now there's been a culture change in this group of people. And Jesus had a mission while he was here to reveal the Father, and he did it. And not just in the form of God, but in the form of man. Think about Jesus came in the form of a human being. So he's revealing God, but as a human being. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. So Jesus, completely equal with God, equally with the Father, lowered himself into human form so he could take on flesh, completely submitted to the Father, and depending on his word and his power to lead his life. And he surrendered himself to the degree that he gave his own physical life up. He didn't even cling unto his own life. 
that even his physical life was freely and fully surrendered to the mercy of God. That his life would be known by a life of faith and a life of love for the Father. And not just a little bit, but complete. Complete faith, complete devotion, complete surrender, completely in love with the Father. And he came to demonstrate that type of love and that type of life for us. He came to demonstrate, to manifest a life that truly reflects the glory of God. And beloved, this is what it means to be in the image of God. Going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, when God spoke and created humanity, humankind. Why is there such value in humanity? Why would Jesus come in human form and even give up his human life? It's because there is a value, and it comes from being made in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 through 27, we can't miss this. It says, let us make man in our own image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. Somebody say, in the image of God. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You were made in the image of God. When Jesus showed up before he was born on Christmas Day, year zero, what did he look like? He looked like a man. When he appeared to Abraham, and as he was coming to announce that they would have a, he and his wife who couldn't have kids, that they would have a kid in their old age, it says, I saw three men coming to the camp. One was the Lord, Yahweh. The other two were angels that went on to Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus looked like a man. Jesus came in human form, but mankind was created in his image. Jesus didn't come to be made to look like us. We were made to look like him. There is a mirror reflection of God Almighty. When Daniel's prophesying, he sees God on the throne. He sees a man glorious on the throne. And then he sees the Son of Man coming, riding on the clouds of heaven. There's, there's this intrinsic nature that even in our appearance, in our creation, that we are made to look like God, but not just look like God. We are to be fruitful and multiply. There is an admonition not only did he give us dominion to rule, he wanted us to bring the world to life, to be fruitful and multiply. That's not just have a bunch of kids, y'all. That is to use the dominion, the authority, in the glory and likeness of God, in his creative power, to breathe life into the world. As God is breathing life into your, your lungs, he is then releasing you to breathe life into the world. So there's intrinsic value in your creation, not just to look like God, but to live like God. When sin entered into the world, that's when we became physically and spiritually separated from God. That fellowship broke. And rather than spreading God's life across the world, we pushed it to descend into chaos by handing our authority over to the evil one. We did the opposite. And it opened the door for pain and suffering to fill the earth. And the enemy's been running rampant, unopposed since that moment. So we no longer reflect God's image with our lives. But we reflected the image of our own gods and the creation of our own minds. Paul in Romans chapter 1, beginning verse 21, he says, Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged. Somebody say exchanged. So they knew God, but they decided, mm, I think I'll do something else. So they exchanged that knowledge of God, the glory of God, of the immortal God, the only God, for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. So we're not going to worship the Creator. We're going to worship what the Creator has created. And he says, therefore, verse 24, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. When you exchange the truth of who God is for a lie, 
Look at what it says. They begin to dishonor even their own bodies. They begin to dishonor themselves. When you exchange your purpose and your meaning from what it was originally designed, the very thing God put in you as an image bearer, it begins to play out in your behavior and in the way the world begins to work. When you begin to worship something other than Almighty God, we were created to worship God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, everything we are, that our lives would reflect His glory. When we exchange that to begin to worship something else, it begins to do the opposite of what God wants, and it begins to manifest in brokenness and dysfunction in our lives. We let our meaning become perverted, outflows perversion in every other area of life. And it was this singular moment in the garden where we lost meaning. Because rather than living for our purpose, we begin to live towards perversion. It has perverted our relationships, our plans. And like Michael Crichton said, we actually did become a cancer on the earth. Rather than spreading life, death has passed upon the whole planet. And we've been chasing the remedy for thousands of years, claiming to be wise, but showing our foolishness. You realize that no matter how thick books are when they come out, no matter how many letters are behind someone's name, no matter how many ideas or concepts they come up with trying to define meaning, the Bible has said constantly for thousands of years, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. To try to find meaning apart from God is a fool's hope. It's a fool's errand. So this is the way the world has been, chasing the meaning of life for thousands of years. And what seems like out of nowhere, after hundreds of years of prophecy, the Messiah, the Son of God, is born in a little town called Bethlehem, and he shows us our purpose, not just in speech, but in also demonstration through his life. John 14, 11 through 12, Jesus said, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works. Somebody say the works. So if you're not going to believe what I say, believe what I do. Believe what I'm showing you. Nobody else is walking on water, y'all. Nobody else is touching lepers. You're all running from lepers. Nobody else is able to do what I'm doing. So if you're not going to believe what I'm telling you, watch what I'm doing, and that will speak a better word. Verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works that, uh, than these he will do because I'm going to be with the Father. You realize Jesus didn't come to do miracles to prove that he could. He came to show us how to do miracles. He didn't come and walk on water, heal the sick, feed the multitudes to prove that he's God. He has nothing to prove to anyone. What did he come to do? He came to demonstrate a life that lives to reveal the glory of God. He came to reveal God, to manifest his presence on the earth. He came to reveal what we could be if we were fully surrendered to him. And how could he have done that without first being born on Christmas Day? So he came. He came and took on flesh. And he lived as he lived to show us how we should live. And he did what he did to show us what we could do if we placed our faith and trust in him and lived in him. He showed us the meaning of life, which is what? It's to image God. The meaning of life since the beginning has always been to image God. To be a reflection of God in the world. Our purpose is how we image God. It's to be what heals, not what hurts. It's to be what saves, not destroys. It's to be what forgives, not what hates. It's to be what blesses, not what curses. And to know that we can do it. We can be it. We can live it. We can fulfill it if we believe in and live in him. 
John 10:27, he says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. And when he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them, what's that telling us? He's saying, this is not only relationship, this is identity. This is what is defining your life. This is where you're finding your meaning. My sheep, that's an identifier. You're mine. You belong to me. You're hearing my voice. That's relationship. And I know them. There's, there's, there's a relationship that's there with those who identify. So we don't just get our identity from any other source. It's not from our skin color. It's not from our nation of origin. It's not from our biological sex or our gender orientation. We get our identity from the creator of heaven and earth. And our reason for being comes from God and God alone. But he doesn't just say, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. He says, they follow me. There is plan for your life. There is something for you to do. There is living on our purpose out. They follow, the sheep of God follow his example. And they work for the same desired end that Jesus did when he was here. To bring the world to life. To fill it with the glory of God. This is why we're here, beloved. This is why Jesus came to reveal God's design and his will and plan for our lives. That we could then go out and fulfill his plan in our, for our lives. This is where meaning comes from. It comes from knowing and being known by God. Our purpose flows from what was in Jesus' life, his example, living like Jesus in the world. He said, those who believe will do the same works. If you believe in Christ, if you're following Jesus, you're going to live like Jesus in the world. You're going to do what Jesus did. Just think about it. Jesus was one man. And think about what he's accomplished. And he said, we'll do the same and greater. How has our lives made as much impact in the world as Jesus? Probably not. But Jesus said it can. Because you'll do the same things he did. And greater. That greater part always gets me. Like, how much greater do you get than raising the dead? Well, if you multiply every follower of Jesus Christ together, as a blanket covers the earth, so can the glory of God. Jesus was in one place at one time, but the church is everywhere all the time. So Jesus came and dealt with our sin problem on the cross so he could solve our purpose problem. He could show us the answer for what is the meaning of life. And not just for a few religious jobs 2,000 years ago or religious nut jobs a couple years ago. He came to show us for the whole world. You see, Paul the Apostle, he discovered his purpose too when he was in the midst of persecuting Christians. He was trying to take Christianity down. He was trying to snuff out the name of Christ. And he found his purpose and this meaning that is intrinsic to every human being in a once-in-a-lifetime encounter with Jesus. After Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus encountered Paul on the road to Damascus when, when he was glorified and already taken his rightful place at the right hand of God. So later in Paul's life, after his life had been transformed, he found this meaning. He began to live for purpose. He started writing letters to other believers to encourage them in their faith and in their journey with Christ. And he summed up the meaning of life. He summed up our purpose, our reason for living in a, just a couple short verses in the book of uh, Philippians chapter 1. As he's writing to this church of Philippi to encourage them. And here's what he says in Philippians 1 beginning in verse 20. He says, as it is my eager expectation and hope, I will not be at all ashamed, but with the full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. He's writing this from prison. So he's saying, I have full assurance and full courage that whether I live or die, Christ is going to, what? He's going to be honored He's going to be glorified. He's going to be raised up, praised, worshipped with my life. Verse 21, he says, for me to live is Christ. The meaning of my life, the reason why I exist, the purpose for every breath, 
for me to live is Christ. It's Christ. There's no other purpose. It's not to get scholarships. It's not to get rich. It's not to be famous. It's not to get a thousand followers on TikTok. It's not to be known by anyone in the world. For me to live is Christ. That's the reason I live. That's where meaning comes from. And then he says, and to die is gain. Do you know believers in Jesus Christ are not afraid to die? Believers in Jesus Christ welcome death with open arms. You're like, well, that sounds weird. That's fun. What are you saying, Pastor Joey? If the greatest prize is Jesus, then the greatest privilege is to get to go meet him. People who are afraid to die don't understand the prize. Now, we may not want to leave people behind and worry about missing people, but we're not afraid to die because to die is gain. There's nothing like it. Paul even says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. God has stuff for me to do. There are greater works in my life that God wants to accomplish. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. Between what? Living and dying. I can't tell you which one I want to do more. Why? Because to live is Christ. If I'm alive, I get to do for him. I get to watch him work. I get to encounter his presence. I get to taste and see that he's good. I get to see young people come to Christ at a conference and get touched by the Holy Spirit. I get to go to a men's conference and see men of God raise up to take their place in the kingdom. I get to see people at Walmart healed and encouraged. I get, I get to see God work and move in powerful ways. And there's nothing like it on the planet. There's nothing like it. To live is Christ. But to die is to get Christ in fullness, in his glory, and to never be separated, to be with him forever and forever and forever. That's why, beloved, when you read the stories of Christian martyrs, many times as they're being burnt at the stake, they're singing songs like Amazing Grace. That the last words on their lips are for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And with Paul, it's recorded in his lifetime that he did many of the same works of Jesus Christ. He healed the sick. He cast out devils. He lived a fully surrendered life that ended with his execution. But his life left an indelible mark on history as the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. He planted more churches. And as Christ was the purpose and meaning of his life, beloved, so too is it the meaning of our lives. In all of human history, pre-modern history was leading up to his coming. Post-ancient history is marked by his life and those who would choose to believe in him. And the purpose Jesus revealed for us all and our meaning is to be known by God, to love him, obey his commandments, love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love other people the way we love ourselves, to look to Jesus as our example of how we should live and believe, to follow his example, to bring healing into the world, to open the door of the kingdom of God to the globe, to fill the earth with the glory of God as his image bearers. Ephesians 2.10, Paul writes to the church of Ephesus. He says, we are his workmanship. And other translations say, we are God's masterpiece. We're his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for fruitful labor, for mighty deeds, which God prepared beforehand. When did he prepare them? When he was planning out the creation of the world. When he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. 
He prepared these works that we should walk in them. He gave us meaning and gave us purpose. And Jesus said we will do the same works that he did. When we became born again, God took care of our sin problem. We became altogether new. It's interesting if you study that passage. It's not just you became new. You became something that has never existed before. You became a redeemed sinner filled with the presence of God. Jesus was a man filled with the presence of God, but he had no sin. But now God is living in sinners after he redeems them. It's never existed before. And because God is in you, God is also with you, beloved. And because he's with you, he's ready to get to work. He's got work for you to do. He has work that he had in mind long ago. In Mark 16, 15, it says, And he said to them, these are his disciples, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the what? The whole creation. Fill the earth with the glory of God. What's the gospel? It's the good news. There's good news. There is meaning for your life. God has a purpose for your life. It's beyond your wildest dreams. It's beyond anything you could ever desire for yourself. It's exceedingly and abundantly beyond what you could ask or think. God wants everyone who believes in Jesus to fulfill their purpose, to share freely what's been freely shared with them, to help everyone who's alive today to have a chance to find true meaning, a life in Jesus Christ, a life that will never end, that is eternal, unchangeable, unmovable, and irrevocable, a life truly worth living, that can have lasting impact, that will leave the world better than the way they found it when they came into it, a life that can reconcile nations and lift up the downcast. God has a plan for your life to use you to change your sphere of influence in your community. If you're alive today, then you have meaning. If you're a child of God, you have a great purpose. And that purpose is to make your life incredibly meaningful as you are walking in Jesus Christ. And we thank God for sending Jesus that revealed not just what he desires for our lives, that we can have meaning and have a purpose, but to show us how to reach the fullest potential as we place our faith and trust in him, living as he did in the world. It's only meaning that comes from outside of yourself, uh, a transcendent virtue that is objective, that can make sense. And because otherwise there is no real definition for that standard that you can judge it by. There's no way to find true and lasting meaning for anything else other than the one who created you. Only a purpose that comes from a transcendent meaning can truly be purposeful because or else there's no other purpose. If you can just make up meaning for yourself, then it's subjective. There's no real weight behind that. And because there's no weight behind anything you can create for yourself, there's also no real significance. Significance is discovered in fulfilling your purpose. And your purpose is derived from the meaning that God put in you when he created you. The only answer, in my opinion, beloved, that meets all criteria, that stood the test of time, that has history to back it up and continues to burn a bright future is this one thing. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die, well, that's way better. Because then I'll be with what my heart delights in. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. King Solomon was the wisest man to ever live. And we'll close with this. He had every luxury, every opportunity he could ever ask for, every experience he could have. That Google search said, meaning comes from experience. Meaning comes from what you decide to do with your life. Meaning comes from what you give yourself. You know what, Solomon? He tried all that stuff. He even says in the book of Ecclesiastes, I gave myself to the endeavor of finding meaning in the world and drink 
and in food and experiences. The man had 600 wives, like 900 girlfriends. He had everything you could possibly desire in this world. And he opens this book by saying, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. That word vanity means futile. It means pointless. There is no meaning in the world. He says, trying to find meaning in the world is like chasing the wind. You ever tried to catch the wind? My dogs sometimes try to catch it in their mouth. Blowing in their face. Hasn't worked for them yet. Trying to find meaning in the world is like chasing the wind. You know what's amazing? Is that the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised to pour out after he went to glory, and he did. We thank God for the Holy Spirit. In both the Old and New Testaments, the word we translate spirit is also breath or wind. If you're chasing the wind in the world, you're never going to find it. You're never going to catch it. But if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the wind comes to you. If you seek Jesus for meaning and you live for Jesus as your divine purpose, the wind comes to you. And it's through the presence and power of the Spirit you can fulfill every promise Jesus said you could do by faith. Right here on this earth and in this life. The reason why Jesus has had such a profound impact in the world is because when you come to him, you wake up to this reality. I was listening to a, an interview on YouTube from these Indian guys were being interviewed, talking about different religious things. And one of the subjects was, why are so many Indian people from India coming to Jesus? And they have a caste system. It's a system that separates people by their station in life. And the lowest people, they just, they don't even acknowledge as being human to a degree. He says, so many of them are coming in Christ because... They're finding value in Jesus. They're finding meaning in Jesus, hope in Jesus, and it's raising their station. It's raising their reason for living and the hope that they have for another day. See, our God went to great lengths to help you see your life has deep meaning. He prepared a purpose for you to walk in that will transform hearts and lives a purpose capable of changing the world. And beloved, he's inviting you today, if you haven't already, to discover your purpose, a true, rich, and satisfying life in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming and showing us we do have meaning. We do have purpose. God, there are so many things in this world that are trying to influence us. There's so many advertisements, and especially on our youth, there are so many influences that are trying to pull them into trying to find their reason for living, their happiness, their joy in the world. But Jesus, you said it yourself in John 10.10, 10, I've come to give you a rich and satisfying life to show you your life has meaning. It matters that you're alive. Thank you, God, for showing us it matters that we live and breathe. And I thank you, God, you have given us a great purpose. And it's to heal the world. It's to be the agent of change. It's to bring good news. We thank you, Lord God, 
that Jesus came when he did. In that singular moment, in the power of his resurrection, has had a profound impact on the world for the last 2,000 years. And I praise you, God, for the impact it's going to continue to have and is having in our world today. You said, Lord, through Paul and Romans, that the gospel is the power of God at work in the hearts of those who believe. I truly believe one of the significant things of the gospel is when someone believes the message of Christ, they discover meaning when the Spirit of God comes to live in them and they become a new creation. They discover purpose. They're no longer aimless or worried about life because they see that they have an infinite value. They are loved by their Creator. And the reason why they exist is to know God and to be known by God. To live every day reflecting his glory in the world. And I pray right now, Lord Jesus, as we set our eyes on Easter. And as we look at all the ways that you have made an impact in the world. I pray for the one right now that's struggling with their purpose. I pray for the one that's struggling to find meaning. That if they were honest, they would admit that they just feel confused. They feel like they're beating their head against the wall. They don't really understand what, what the point of their life is. They're just in the rat race. They're in the grind, doing the same thing day in and day out. And they're weary and they're tired. And they don't have much hope for anything to change. They have the same problems. They're in the same situation they've been in. And I just pray right now, Lord God, you'd help them see through the power of your spirit that there is meaning to their life. There's a reason why they're here, hearing this message today. There's a purpose for their life. God, you've got work for them to do, one that will help them feel incredibly significant. There's no greater significance than to live as the hand of God. To be a part of changing lives. God, I just thinking about the conference yesterday and just being a part of all those people coming forward to give their lives to Jesus Christ. Man after man after man coming forward to receive Jesus as their Savior. And just, just to get a part of that is so incredibly significant. So God, I pray that you would You'd be the one who's struggling with meaning and purpose today, God. That you'd speak a word to their heart right now, Jesus. If there's anyone here, God, that they don't know you as their Lord and Savior, they've not trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior, God, I pray today would be the day. Today would be the day that they give their lives and their heart to you. And I just thank you, Lord, for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, with every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. I just want to offer you the opportunity. If you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do it right now. To do it right now. To invite Jesus into your life as Lord and Savior. That he would breathe his Holy Spirit upon you. And you'd begin to discover right now your purpose. That you'd encounter his unconditional love. And that battle that you've been wrestling with in your life, Lord. God, that you would just settle it in their spirit. If you're here and you need to receive Jesus, you need to make it for sure today. That you know, that you know, that you know. Then I'd encourage you to pray with me right now, right where you are. As if you were speaking to Jesus face to face. Just call out to him. And just pray what I pray. Just say, Lord Jesus. Thank you for coming. 
and for paying for my sins on the cross. Thank you for loving me enough to give your life for me. And thank you, Father, for raising Jesus from the dead. Today, I place my faith in Jesus, in his death and resurrection, and I commit my life to him now and forever. Jesus, today and forevermore, you get to be Lord of my life. Fill me with your spirit. And I live for you now and forever in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time, you invited Jesus in your life. I'm not going to pick you out or embarrass you. I just want to pray a blessing over you. The word of God says anyone who turns to Jesus, God himself throws a party in heaven. So there are angels rejoicing right now. There are streamers and confetti and shouts of praise and, and just a glorious, you thought we were having fun earlier today? There's a party happening right now. And I just want to praise God and, and bless you. If that's you today, if you pray, would you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor Joey, that's me. I prayed today. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Anyone else? Lord God, I just praise you. I praise you for what you're doing, the work you're doing in this room. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you how you're helping us see with fresh eyes that we do matter, that you do love us, that it matters that we're alive. It matters that we live and breathe. Amidst all the struggles and problems and trouble we have in this life, it matters that we're here and that you have a purpose for our lives. And God, I just pray for the one that raised their hand, Lord, that today would be the day that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt they're a child of God, that your spirit would fall upon and fill them from the top of the head to the bottom of their feet. God, if there be any brokenness in their body, they'd be miraculously and completely healed right now in Jesus' name. God, I pray if there's any depression or darkness, God, that it would be cast out right now in Jesus' name, that you'd fill them with light like you promised, Lord. Fill them with the light of the Lord. And we just pray that you would strengthen them and encourage them as they live each day now with meaning and purpose. They are a child of God and that you have work for them to do. Glorious work. Great work. In Jesus' name. at Vertical Life Church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.